you're listening to The Great Gatsby by F Scott Fitzgerald. This audiobook is brought to you by Kriti and it's narrated by Aishwarya. Chapter 4. One Sunday morning, while church bell rang in the villages along shore, the world and its mistress returned to Gatsby's house and twinkled hilariously on his lawn. He's a bootlegger, said the young ladies, moving somewhere between his cocktail and his flour. One time he killed a man who had found out that he was a nephew to Von Heisenberg and second cousin to the devil. Reach me a rose honey and pour me a last drop into that crystal glass. Once I wrote down on an empty space of a timetable the names of those who came to Gatsby's house that summer. It's an old timetable now, disintegrating at its fold and headed that this schedule is effect July 5th, 1922. But I can still read the grey names and they'll give you a better impression than my generalities of those who accepted Gatsby's hospitality and paid him the substitute tribute to knowing nothing whatever about him. From East Egg, Then came the Chester Baker and the Leeches and a man named Bunsen whom I knew at Yale and Dr. Webster Sivet who was drawn last summer up in Maine and the Hornbeams and the Wild Walter and a whole clan named Blackbug who always gathered in a corner and flipped up their noses like a goat at whatsoever came near and the Imsays and the Crystals and Edge Beaver whose hair they say turn cotton white on winter afternoon for no good reason at all clor aden was from a east egg as i remember he came only once in white kerchief bocker and had a fight with a bum named etty in the garden from farther out on an inland came the cheerles and the orp scraderel and the stonewall jackson ambrel of georgia and fishguard and the ripple snells Snell was there 3 days before he went to Penetaria so drunk out on a grave drive that Mrs Utsy Sweat's automobile ran out of his right hand the dancers came to and the SB Whitebait who was well over 60 and Morris A Flick and the Hammer's Head and Beluga the tobacco importer and Beluga's girl from West A came the Poles and Mulready's and Sensel Robag and Sensel Schwan and Gallic the state senator and Newton Orchard who control films par excellence and Exont and Clyde Cohen and John Eshwats the son and Arthur McCarthy all connected with the movies in one way or the other and the Catlips and the Bimmers and G Earl Mulden brother to the Muldoon who afterward strangled his wife D Fortin the prompter came there and Ed Legros and James B Ferret and the D Jongs and Ernest Lilly they came to gamble and when Ferret wandered into the garden it meant he was cleaned out and associated traction would have to fluctuate profitability the next day a man named Clip Springer was there so often that he became known as the borderer i doubt if he had any other home of theoretical people they were gus ways and horace o dovano and lester meyer and george duckweed 
and Francis Bull, also from New York, where the Cromps and the Backwards and Denkixer and Russell Betty and the Cornigans, the Keller Hellers and Divars and the Suckle and S. W. Belcher and the Smicker and the Young Queens, divorce now and Henry L. Palamet, who killed himself by jumping in front of a subway train in Times Square. Benny McLehan always arrived with four girls. They were never quite the same one in physical person, but they were so identical one with another that is inevitable seemed that they had been there before. I have forgotten their names, Jacqueline, I think, or else Consuela, or Gloria, or Judy, or June, and their last names were either the melodious name of flowers and months or the stenner one of the great American capitalist whose cousin, if pressed, they would confess themselves to be. In addition to all these, I can remember that Faustina O'Brien came there at least once and the beater girl and the younger brewer who had his note shoved off in the war and Mr. Abelgar and Miss Hag, his fiance, and Adita Fitzpeters and Mrs. P. Jewett, once head of American Legion, and Miss Claudia Hip, with a man reputed to her coffer, and a prince of something whom we called Duke, and whose name, if I even knew it, I have forgotten. All these people came to Gatsby's house in that summer. At nine o'clock, one morning late in July, Gatsby gorgeous Carl lurched up the rocky drive to my door and gave out a burst of melody from its three-noted horn. It was the first time he had called on me, though I had gone to two of his parties, mounted in his hydroplane, and at his urgent invitation made frequent use of his beach. Good morning, old sport. You're having lunch with me today? And I thought we'd ride up together. He was balancing himself on the dashboard of his car with that resourcefulness of moment that is so peculiarly American and comes with a grace of nervous, paradic game. This quality was continually breaking through his peculiar manner in the shape of restlessness. He was never quite still. There was always a tapping foot somewhere or the impatient opening and a closing of a hand. He saw me looking with admiration at his car. It's pretty, isn't it, old sport? He jumped off to give me a better view. Haven't you ever seen it before? I'd seen it, and everybody had seen it. It was a rich cream color, bright with nickel, swollen here and there in the morbid length with the triumphant hat boxes and supper boxes and tool boxes and terraced with the lorry wrench of windshield that mirrored a dozen sun, sitting down behind many layers of glass in a sort of green leather conversantry, we started to town. I had talked with him perhaps half a dozen time in the past month and found, to my disappointment, that he had little to say so. So my first impression that he was a person of something undefined consequence and had gradually faded and he had become simply the properties of an elaborate road box next door. And then came the disconcerting ride. We hadn't reached West Village 
before Gatsby began leaving his elegant sentence unfinished and slapping himself indecisively on the knee of his caramel-coloured suit. Look your whole sport, he broken out surprisingly. What's your opinion of me anyway? A little overwhelmed, I began the generalised evasion which that question deserves. Well, I'm going to tell you something about my life, he interrupted. I don't want you to get a wrong idea of me from all these stories you hear. So, he was aware of a bizarre acquaintances that favoured conversation in his all. I tell you the God's truth. His right hand suddenly ordered divine retribution to stand by. I'm the son of some wealthy people in the Middle West, all dead now. I was brought out in America but educated at Oxford because all of my ancestors had been educated there for many years. It's a family tradition. He looked at me sideways and I knew why Jordan Baker had believed that he was lying. He hurried the phrase, educated at Oxford or swollen out end or choked on it as though it had bothered him before. And with this doubt, his whole statement fell into pieces and I wondered if there was something a little sinister about him after all. What part of the Middle West? I inquired casually. San Francisco. Oh, I see. My family all died and I came into a good deal of money. His voice was solemn as if the memory of that sudden extinction of the clan still haunted him. For a moment, I suspected that he was pulling my leg, but at glance at him, he convinced me otherwise. After that, I lived like a young Raja in all the capital of Europe, Paris, Venice, Rome collecting jewels, chiefly rubies, hunting big game, painting a little, things for myself only and for trying to forget something very sad that had happened to me a long ago. With an effort, I managed to restrain my incredible laughter. The very phrases were worn so threadbare that they evoke no image except that of a turbined character leaking sawdust at every pore as he pursued a tiger through the boy's deep bullock. Then came the war, old sport. It was a great relief and I tried very hard to die, but I seemed to bear an extanted life. I accepted a commission as first alignment when it's begun. In the arrogant forest, I took the remains of my machine gun and so far forward that there was a half-mile gap on either side of us where the infantry couldn't advance. We stayed there two days and two nights and a hundred and thirty men with sixteen Lewis gun and when the infantry came up at last, they found the insides of three German division among the piles of dead. I was promoted to be a major and every allied garment gave me a decoration even Montragius, little Montragius down on the Arabic Sea. Little Montragius, he lifted up the words and nodded at them with a simple smile. The smile comprehended Montragius' troubled history and sympathized him 
with the brave struggles of the montragian people it appreciated fully the chain of national circumstances which has elected his tribute from montragius warm little heart my incredible was submerged in a fascination now it was like skipping the hasty through a dozen magazine he reached in his pocket and a piece of metal slung on a ribbon fell into my palm that's the one from montragius to my astonishment the thing had an authentic look order the danilo ran the circular legend montragius nicholas rex turn it major j gatsby i read for valor extraordinary here's another thing i always carry a sovereign of oxford days it was taken in trinity court the man on my left is now the earl of documentary it was a photograph of half a dozen young men in blazer loafing in an archway through which were visible a host of spires they were gatsby looking a little not much younger with a cricket bat in his hand then it was all true i saw the skins of tiger flaming in his palace of a grand canal i saw him opening a chest of rubies to ease with their crimson lightened depth and growling of all his broken heart i'm going to make a big request of you today he said pocketing his sovereign with a satisfaction so i thought you ought to know something about me i didn't want you to think i was just some nobody you see i usually find myself among strangers because i drift here and there trying to forget the sad things that happened to me a long before he hesitated you'll hear about us this afternoon at lunch no this afternoon i happened to find out that you're talking to miss baker to tea do you mean you're in love with mrs baker no old sport i'm not but miss baker had kindly consented to speak to you about this matter i hadn't the faintest idea what this matter was but i was more annoyed than interested i hadn't as jordan to tea in order to discuss mr j gatsby i was sure the request would be something utterly fantastic and for a moment i was sorry i'd ever set foot upon his overpopulated lawn he wouldn't say any word his correctness grew on him as we neared the city we passed port roswelt where there was a glimpse of red belted ocean ship and sped along a curved slum lined with the dark and deserted saloons of a faded glitch 1900 then the valley of ashes opened out on both the side of us and i had a glimpse of mrs wilson straining at the garage pump with painting vitality as we went by with fenders spread like wings we scattered light through half australian one half for as we twisted among the pillars of an elevator I heard the familiar jug jug spot of a motorcycle and a frantic policeman rode alongside all right old sport called gasby we slowed down 
taking a white card from his wallet, he waved it before the man's eyes. Right, you are, agreed the policeman, tipping his cap. No, you went the next time, Mr. Gatsby. Excuse me? What was it? I inquired. The picture of Oxford? I was able to do the commissioner a favor once and he sends me a Christmas card every year. Over the great bridge with the sunlight through the grinders making a constant flicker upon the moving car with the city rising up across the river in white heaps and sugar lumps all built with the wish out of a non-factory money. The city seemed from the Cosinbor is always the city seen for the first time in its first wild promise of all the mystery and the beauty in the world. A dead man passed us in a hearse heaped with blooms, followed by two garages with drawn blinds and by more cheerful garages for friends. The friends looked out us with a tragic eye and short upper lips of a southeast Europe and I was glad that the sight of Gadsby's splendid card was included in their somber holiday. As we crossed Blackwell's Island, a luminous Passover driven by a white crosset in a chauffeur in which we sat in a three modish negroses, two bucks and a girl. I laughed aloud as the yolks of their eyeballs rolled towards us in a hosty rivalry. Anything can happen now that we slide over this bridge. I thought, anything at all. Even Gatsby could happen without any particular wonder. Roaring noon, in a well-fanned 42nd Street, I met Gatsby for lunch. Blinking away the brightness of the street outside, my eyes pick him up obscurely in the afternoon, talking to another man. Mr. Markery, this is my first friend, Mr. Ulfsiam. A small flat-nosed Jew raised his large head and regardless me with two fine growths of hair which luxuriated in either nostril. After a moment, I discovered his tiny eyes in the half-darkness. So, I took one look at him, said Mr. Ulfsiam, shaking my hand earnestly and what do you think I did? What? I inquired politely. But evidently, he was not addressing me, for he dropped my hand and covered Gatsby with his expression nose. I handed the money to Hatskin and I said, All right, Catskin, don't pay him a penny till he shuts his mouth. He shut it then and there. Gatsby took an arm of each of us and moved forward into a restaurant, whereupon Mr. Ulsiam swallowed a new sentence. He was starting and lapsed into a somebody abstraction. Highballs, asked the head waiter. This is a nice restaurant here, said Mr. Ulsiam, looking at the Pittsbury nums on the ceiling. But I like across the street better. Yes, highballs, agreed Gatsby, and then... To Mr. Ulsiam, it's too hot over there. Hot and small, yes, said Mr. Ulsiam, but full of memories. What place is it? I asked, 
the old metropole the old metropole broadened mr ulsium gloomingly filled with face dead and gone filled with friends gone now forever i can't forget so long and i lived the night that shot rosy rosenberg there it was six of us at the table and rosy had et and drunk a lot all the evening when it was almost morning the waiter came up to him with a funny look and says somebody wants to speak to him outside all right said rosy and begins to get up and i pulled him down in his chair let the bastard come in here if they want you rosy but don't you so help me move aside this room it was 4 o'clock in the morning then and we of raised the blinds we ought of seen a daylight did he go i asked innocently sure he went mr ulsium nose flashed at me indoubtedly he turned around in a door and says don't let that waiter take away my coffee then he went out on a sidewalk and then he shot him three times in his full belly and drew away four of them were intractulated i said remembering five with becker his nostril turned to me in an interesting way i understand you're looking for a business negotiation the juxtaposition of these two remarks was startling him gatsby answered for me oh no he exclaimed this isn't the man no mr ulsium seemed disappointed this is just a friend i told you we talked about that same thing at that time i beg your pardon said mr ulsium i had a wrong man a succulent hash arrived and mr ulsium forgetting the more sentimental atmosphere of the old metropole began to eat with a ferocious delicacy his eyes meanwhile rode very slowly all around the room he completed the arc by turning to inspect that the people directly behind him i think that except for my presence he would have taken one short glance beneath our own table look your whole sport said gatsby leaning towards me i'm afraid i made you a little angry this morning in the car there was a smile again but this time i held out against it i don't like mysteries i answered and i don't understand why you won't come frankly and tell me what you want why has it all got to come through miss baker ho oh, it's nothing underhand he assured me miss baker is a great sportswoman you know and she never do anything that wasn't all right suddenly he looked at his watch jumped up and hurried from the room leaving me with mr ulsium at the table he has to telephone said mr ulsium following him with his eyes fine fellow isn't he handsome to look at and a perfect gentleman yes he's an oxford man ho oh, he went to oxford college in england do you know oxford college i've heard of it it's one of the most famous colleges in the world have you know gatsby for a long time i inquired 
Several years, he answered in a gratified way. I made the pleasure of his acquaintances just after the war, but I knew I had discovered a man of fine breeding after I talked with him an hour ago. I said to myself, there's a kind of man you'd like to take home and introduce it to your mom and sister. And then he paused. I see you looking at my cuff buttons. I hadn't been looking at them, but I did now. They were composed of orderly familiar pieces of ivory, finest specimen of human molars. He informed me. Well, I inspected them. That's a very interesting idea. Yeah, he flipped his sleeves up under his coat. Yeah, Gatsby, a very careful about women. He would never so much at look at its friend's wife. When the subject of his intrinsic trust returned to the table and sat down, Mr. Ulsium drank his coffee with a jerk and got to his feet. I have enjoyed my lunch, he said, and I am going to run off from two young men before I outstay my welcome. Don't hurry, Mayor, said Gatsby without enthusiasm. Mr. Ulsium raised his hand in a sort of benediction. You are very polite, but I belong to another generation, he announced solemnly. You sit here and discuss your sports and your young ladies and your, he supplied an imaginary noun with another way of his hand. As for me, I am fifty year old and I won't impose myself on you any longer. As he shook hands and turned away, his tragic nose was trembling. I wondered if I had said anything to offend him. He became very sentimental sometimes, explained Gatsby. This is one of his sentimental days. He's quite a character around New York, a denizen of Broadway. Who is he anyhow? An actor? No, a dentist. Mayor Ulsium? No, he's a gambler. Gatsby hesitated and then he added coldly that he's a man who fixed the World Series back in 1919. Fixed the old series? I repeated. The idea staggered me. I remember, of course, that the World Series had been fixed in 1990. But if I had thought of it, all that would have thought of it was a thing that merely happened, the end of some inevitable chain. It's never occurred to me that one man could start to play with the faith of 50 million people with the single-mindedness of a burglar bowling a safe. How did he happen to do that? I asked after a minute. He just saw the opportunity. Why isn't he in jail? They can't get him, old sport. He's a smart one. He insisted on paying the cheque. As the waiter brought my change, I caught a sight of Ton Buchanan across the crowded room. Come along with me for a minute, I said. I got to say hello to someone. When he saw us, Tom jumped up and took half a dozen steps in our direction. Where you been? he demanded eagerly. Daisy's furious because you haven't called up. 
This is Mr. Gatsby, Mr. Buckingham. They shook hands briefly, and a strained, unfamiliar look of embarrassment came over Gatsby's face. How you been, anyhow? Demanded Tom of me. How do you happen to come up with this too far to eat? I've been having lunch with Mr. Gatsby. I turned towards Mr. Gatsby, but he was no longer there. One October day in nineteen seventeen, said Jordan Baker that afternoon, sitting up very straight on a straight chair in the tea garden at the Plaza Hotel, I was walking along from one place to another, half of the sidewalk and half on the lawn. I was happier on the lawn because I had on shoes from England with rubber knobs on the soles. that bit into the soft ground i had on a new plaid skirt also that blew a little in the wind and whenever this happened the red white and blue banners in front of all the houses stretched out stiff and said tat 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 in a disapproving way the largest of the banners and the largest of the lawns belonged to Daisy Foss House. She was just eighteen, two year older than me, and by far the most popular of all young girls in Lossville. She dressed in white and had a little white roadster, and all day long the telephone rang in her house and excited young officers from Camp Taylor demanded that the privilege of monopolizing her that night anyway for an hour when i came opposite her house that morning her white roadster was beneath the curb and she was sitting in it with the lettuement i had never seen her before they were so engrossed in each other that she didn't see me until i was 5 feet away hello jordan he called unexpectedly please come here I was flattered that she wanted to speak to me because of all the older girls I admire her most. She asked me if I was going to the Red Cross to make bandages. I was. Well, then would I tell them that she couldn't come that day? The officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking in a way that every young girl wants to be looked at sometime. and because it seemed romantic to me i had remembered the incident ever since his name was j gatsby and i didn't lay eyes on him again for over 4 years even after i met him on long island i didn't realize it was the same men there that was 1917 by the next year i had a few botics myself and i began to play in a tournament so i didn't see daisy very often she went with a slight older crowd when she went with an anyone at all wild rumors were circulating about her how her mother and found her packing her bag once winter night to go to new york and say goodbye to a soldier who was going overseas she was electantly prevented but she wasn't on speaking terms with her family for several weeks 
After that, she didn't play around him with the soldier anymore, but only with the few flattered-footed, short-sighted young men in town who could get into the army after all. By the next autumn, she was gay again, gay as ever. She had a debit after the armistice and in February she was pre-assumedly engaged to a man from New Orleans. In June, she married Tom Buchanan of Chicago with more pomp and circumstances that Lawswell ever knew before. He came down with a hundred people and four private cars and hired a whole floor of a Mulkin hotel and the day before the wedding, he gave a string of pearls valued at $350,000. I was a bridesmaid. I came into her room half an hour before the bridal dinner and found her lying on her bed as lovely as a June night in her flower dress and as drunk as a monkey. She had a bottle of sorotin in one hand and a letter in another. Gratulate me, she muttered. Never had drink before, but on how, I do enjoy it. What's the matter, Daisy? I was scared. I can't tell you. I'd never see a girl like that before. Here, dearies, she groped around in a waste basket she had with her on a bed and pulled out the string of pearls. Take him downstairs and give me back to whoever they belong to. Tell him all Daisy's change, her mind, and say Daisy's change, her mind. She began to cry. She cried and cried. I rushed out and found her mother's maid and we locked the door and got her into a cloth bed. She would let her go to the letter, but she took it into a tub with her and squeezed it up in a wet ball and only let me leave it in a soap dish when she watched that and it was coming to a pieces like snow. But she didn't say another word. We gave her spirits of ammonia and put ice on her forehead and hooked her back into her dress and half an hour later, when we walked out of the room, the pearls were around her neck and the incident was over. Next day at 5 o'clock, she married Tom Buchanan without so much as a shiver and started off on a three-month trip to South Seas. I saw them in Santa Barbara where they came back and I thought I'd never see a girl so mad about her husband. If he left the room for a minute, she'd look around uneasily and say, Where's Tom gone? And wear the most abstracted expression until she saw him coming in the door. She used to sit on the sand with his head up in a lap by an hour, rubbing her fingers over her eyes and looking at him with an unfathomable delight. It was touching to see them together. It made me laughed in a hushed, in a fascinating way. That was in August. A week after, I left Santa Barbara. Tom ran into a wagon on a venture road one night and ripped a front wheel of his car. The girl who was with him got into the papers and because her arm was broken, she was one of the camber mates in the Santa Barbara Hotel. The next April, Daisy had her little girl and they went to France for a year.
I saw them one spring in Cannes and later in Deville and then they came back to Chicago to settle down. Deity was popular in Chicago as he knew. They moved with a fast crowd, all of them young and rich and wild, but she came out with an absolutely perfect reputation. Perhaps because she doesn't drink. It's a great advantage not to drink among the hard-drinking people. You can hold your tongue and moreover, you can time any little irregularity of your own so that everybody else is so blind that they don't care or see. Perhaps Daisy never went in for an armor at all and yet there's something in that voice of her. Well, about six weeks later, she heard the name Gatsby for the first time in years. I was when I asked you, do you remember? If you knew Gatsby in West Egg, after you had gone home, she came into my room and woke me up and said, What Gatsby? And when I described him, I was half asleep. She said in the strangest voice that it must be a man she used to know. It wasn't until then that I connected this Gatsby with the officer in her white car. When Jordan Baker had finished telling all this, we had left the plaza for half an hour and we were driving in a Victoria through Central Park. The sun had gone down beyond the tall apartments of the movie stars in the wet fifties and the clear voices of children, already gathered like crickets on the grass, rose through a hot twilight. I'm the Sheik of Araby. Your love belonged to me. At night, when you're asleep, into your tent, I would definitely creep. It was a strange coincidence, I said, but it wasn't a coincidence at all. Why not? Gatsby bought that house so that Daisy would be just across the bay. Then, it had not merely the stars to which he had aspired on that June night. He came alive to me delivered suddenly from the womb of his purposefulness splendor. He want to know, continued Jordan, if you would like to invite Daisy to your house some afternoon and then left him the cover over. The modesty of the demand shook me. He had waited five years and bought a mansion where he dispersed starlight to casual months so that he could come over after some afternoon to a stranger's garden. Did I have to know all this before? He came to ask us such a little thing to me. He's afraid. He's waiting so long. He thought you might be offended. You see, his regular tough underneath, it's all about. Something worried me. Why didn't he ask you to arrange a meeting? He wants her to see his house. She explained, and your house is a right next door. Ho! Oh, I think he half expected her to wander into one of his parties some night and went on Jordan, but he never did. Then he began asking people casually if they knew her, and I was the first one he found. It was that night he sent for me at his dance, and you should have heard the elaborate way he worked up to it. Of course, I immediately suggested a luncheon in New York and I thought 
he'd gone mad. I don't want to do anything out of the way, he kept saying. I want to see her right next door. What I said you were a particular friend of Tom's, he started abandon the whole idea. He doesn't know very much about Tom, thought he would say he'd read a Chicago paper for years just on a chance of catching a glimpse of Daisy's name. It was dark now and as we dipped under a little bridge, I put my arm around Jordan's golden shoulder and drew her towards me and asked her to the dinner. Suddenly, I was thinking of Daisy and Gatsby anymore, but of this clean, hard, limited people who dwelt in the universe skepticism and who leaned back jordantly just within the circle of my arm. A France begins to beat me in my ears in a sort of heady excitement. There are only the pursuit, the pursuing, the busy and the tired. And Daisy ought to have something in her life, murmured Jordan to me. Does she want to see Gatsby? She don't know about it. Gatsby doesn't want her to know. You're just supposed to invite her to tea. We passed a barrier of dark trees and then the facet of 59th Street, a block of delicate pale light, beamed down into the park. Unlike Gatsby and Tom Buchanan, I had no girl who disemployed my face floating along the dark cornices and blinding signs and so I drew up the girl beside me, tightening my arm. Her wan, scornful mouth smiled and so I drew her up again closer, this time to see my face.